Let's look now at Philippians. <clears throat> you know, a couple of Sundays ago, our passage that we, we read is going to be the same thing we're going to read this morning. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. And the reason for that is this, is that I didn't finish the sermon that I had started two weeks ago. And so I just said, we're going to cut it off and we'll finish this up on this particular Sunday. So now I've done stuff like this before. And I know one time I did something like this at another church where I was a pastor. And there was a member of the church who thought that, you know, I'd kind of broke a tooth off of one of the gears in my brain and that I was and that I didn't know that I had preached the same sermon twice. I didn't tell her that she was the one that was crazy, you know. But anyway, I just said, yeah, yeah, I understand. You know, I, I mess up every now and then. I didn't really want to make her feel that bad. Anyway, but that's what we're going to look at. Let me let's read this in Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse 10. This is getting close to the end of the letter. The Apostle Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, I realize this is a sermon on giving, and there's some people that you know, they don't always like to hear sermons on giving. Or maybe you are saying, well, you know, is this what you're going to preach on for the next few Sundays? You know, this is going to be two sermons you're preached on giving. Well, no, I don't do this all the time, but even there's nothing wrong with having two sermons close together on giving. And look at it this way. If you don't like it, I'm just an interim pastor. So <laughs> what are you going to do to me anyway? <laughs> you know, but anyway... But this is one of those issues that I know that some people, they kind of get their back up over it. But, you know, I'm not making any money off of this. And so I just want to let you know, these are th this is a theme that we see, though, in the Scripture in more than one place. And it's a theme that we need to consider and think about because there is a blessing involved in it whenever we just trust God and trust Him what He says on this idea of giving and receiving. Now, back to other things. You know, I got, we got our first graduation announcement uh, just last week, and it is uh, the daughter of one of my cousins who lives in Canton, and uh, she's graduating from high school a year early. Uh, she's going to be going to Laterno, just like her big brother is going to Laterno, and so I'm proud of her, and I'm proud of her big brother. And uh, I'll say one thing. Last year, we got her big brother's graduation announcement. 
We send him a gift. We always try to do that to anyone that sends us a graduation announcement, unless it's someone that we've never heard of in our life. And we, we send him a gift. And it was a gift that I would have liked to have gotten. It was a, it was a pretty nice pocket knife. And, uh, and sure enough, I got a thank you note back from it. Now, as I recall, that was the only thank you note that we got that year. And usually every year, and this is the way it is nowadays, usually every year it's, you know, we might get one thank you note for someone that sent us a graduation announcement. You know, back whenever I graduated from high school back in 1893, uh, <laughs> you know, really, no, I graduated in, in 1970, and whenever we did, you know, we, uh, the people that would sell these announcements and to us that for us to mail out, they told us, now this is the way you do it, and this is good manners. Uh, you do not put a return address on your announcement. You're not asking them for a gift, you're just letting them know that you're graduating, so don't put a return address on there. I have not received a graduation announcement in years and years without a return address. And they said, and for those who do send you a gift, they said, you make sure that you send them a thank you note within a month, if not less. And that's just good manners, she said. Well, the Apostle Paul knew something about good manners. As he was writing this, <clears throat> he was a prisoner in Rome. But during his imprisonment, he was under what we would call house arrest. You know, that meant that he wasn't rotting away in a prison itself. He was able to stay in a house, but he was confined to that house. And, uh, but he was, he was able to have friends come by and visit him there. Uh, and people, if they wanted to send him gifts or money, as a matter of fact, sometimes back then when you were under house arrest, you had to supply the house that you were going to be in, in arrest in. And so he probably was renting a house. And so the people at Philippi had sent him money. And it was not the first time that they had done so. Really, whenever you look at this letter to the Philippians, there's several themes that are involved in it. One of the themes has to do with unity, and which is really kind of an overriding theme in there for everyone to be of the same mind in Christ Jesus. But there's other things in there, and one of the themes in here is a thank you thing. That's the reason he, one of the reasons he wrote this letter was to thank them for the fact that they had sent him a gift. And he said, and you have done it again and again over the time that I have been, I've, I've known you. He said, as a matter of fact, he said, in the beginning of the gospel, whenever I, I went, and, and, and I left, he said, you were the only ones that sent me anything. And so he wants them to know that he appreciates the gift. Now, he was saying that you didn't have to do this. But he said, I'm not asking, as a matter of fact, let me put it this way. <clears throat> Verse 11 says, it's not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And uh, he's, he goes on to say in here, he said in verse uh, 11, wait just a minute, verse 17, he said, it's not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What he was seeking for them was a blessing, really. And this is the, one of the ideas that we see here in this passage, is that our giving is something that has eternal consequences. That's really what he's talking about right here. He said, matter of fact, as he said, he said, I'm not seeking a gift from you, but I am seeking fruit that increases to your credit. Now, if you have an, uh, an English Standard Version down at the footnote, he's saying, I seek the profit that accrues to your account. What he's telling them is this, is that our giving is something that God notices. And he's telling us that, uh, 
that God is, is going to remember what they have done. He is well aware of their giving. He's well aware of their generosity. And he is going to bless them in accordance with their giving. And what he's telling us is this, basically, is that somewhere, someday, and, and really in eternity, there's going to be a time in which God recognizes us for the things that we have done in his name. Uh, our, our giving results in future blessings is what it's talking about here. And so, and this is an idea that we see in other places in the Bible. Not, and it reminds us of something. Number one, not all of God's blessings are received in this life. There's going to be times whenever you've known folks like this, I have too, that they gave so much of themselves and it seemed like all they got was the off-scouring of everything else. You know, I have known some people that were that way. They were faithful to the Lord. They gave as they were able to give. They gave not just of their finances, but they gave of their life. They gave of their time. And it just seemed like that what they got was nothing back in return. There's people that will tell you that if you give to their ministry, God is going to repay you several times over. Well, He doesn't always repay you several times over in this life. He doesn't. What is one of the things implied in this is that the blessings that God gives us are not all realized here. And I think I could go so far as to say this. I would think that the best of God's blessings are not going to be realized here. Because whatever you get down here you're going to have to say goodbye to it whenever they plant you in the ground. But whenever we go before God and we are going to be judged and considered by Him, whatever blessings we get then are going to be eternal blessings. I don't understand how all that works out. I really don't. It's a very deep subject and it's deeper than I can, uh, than I can plumb. But we know that this is something that Jesus said is true. Jesus said that there's going to be a day when we're going to stand before Him and whenever we're going to show him what we did with the talents or the abilities or the blessings that he gave us in life, and those that used what he gave them and they used it well, he is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I am going to make you the master of many things. I don't know what all those many things are, but I just simply believe what Jesus says right there is that what we do in this life, the way that we... We are stewards. The way that we deal with giving is going to be something that God is going to take into account. Uh, meaning, and another thing is this, is that how we manage what we have, whether it is much or little, is really kind of the proving ground of our faith. If we are stingy with the talents or the abilities or the, the goods that God has given us, it simply means that we don't trust God that much. That's what it's about. But whenever we give back as, as much as we can in, in, in God's service, it means that we trust Him. That we, can real, that we can say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it for God, and God is going to take care of me. Another thing is this, and it's something that we need to understand, I think the inverse of this is true, is that someday, somehow, we're going to be accountable to God for the way that we use our material assets. If we spend freely on ourselves but we ignore the needs of the body of Christ or we ignore the needs of mission work or we ignore the needs of the poor, be aware that we're going to have to answer to God for that someday. Once again, I don't understand all the way that works, but this is what this is telling us. And this may be going out on a limb, but I really think that this is true. Whatever we could say about giving individually, I think could also be applied to giving as far as a body of believers, giving as far as a congregation goes. 
like I said, if, uh, if y'all don't like this, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to be here forever. But I really have a problem with what I see in some churches where they will spend not just tens of thousands of dollars, maybe even $100,000 on some type of a production, whenever they could be using tens of thousands of dollars to help some hungry people in some third world countries to send the gospel in places that most people have never wanted to go to. I realize that, you know, that much, you know, we do give here at this church to mission work and stuff like that. But I remember one time, one of my friends that was a pastor, I think he was a pastor around here in this area at one time, but he was, we were talking years and years ago about this, where there was one particular church and they put on a Christmas program and they spent $75,000 on props and stuff. And my friend, who could be pretty blunt, he said, you're going to have to answer to God for that someday. And I think he's right. I think he's right. Just remember, God takes into account what we do with his blessings. And when we use them right, he blesses us right. <laughs> when we use them wrong, well, we kind of miss out. So that's one thing to bear in mind. This is one of the things that he's teaching us here is that our giving has eternal consequences. Another thing we see is this, is how sincere giving pleases God. It's something that he likes. Notice in verse 18, he said, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Now notice how he describes these gifts that they sent. He said, it's a fragrant offering. It's a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In other words, this was not just something that was acceptable and pleasing to Paul. It was something that was acceptable and pleasing to God. And meaning that sincere giving pleases him. When using the terms that he uses here, he's talking about it being like a, a fragrant offering. Uh, a lot of times when, when offerings were, were set up during the Old Testament times, sometimes incense would go along with that, and it would give a certain aroma to everything, and something that would make it smell sweet and pleasing, something that you like to smell of. You know, I, years ago, and uh, I, hope, I, I don't think I've ever told you all this before, if I have, you probably forgot it anyway. But I was, uh, I was making hospital visits at the hospital, and it was kind of during the middle of the day, and I was having to wait for about an hour for something to be done. So I just thought, well, I'm going to tiptoe off to the cafeteria and get a cup of coffee and maybe keep me awake for a while. Well, I did, and no one was in the cafeteria. There's one of the workers in there, and she was cleaning off the tables. And uh, I went over to the coffee machine. I got some coffee, and she said, we just, she said you just walk over to the cash register. I'll, I'll catch up with you. And she walked past me. And as she walked past me, she said, mm. she said, what is that aftershave you have on? <laughs> Never had a woman say that to me. I said, well, I don't know. I said, I really don't. I said, it was something my wife bought me. And I said, I can't remember what it was. She said, well, I know it sure opened my eyes when I walked past you, big boy. <laughs> I went home and I told my wife, I said, the old man still has it, you know. <laughs> But I remember back in the 60s and 70s, and some of you guys may remember this, it was just the market was getting flooded with men's colognes and, and aftershaves. I mean, there was English leather, Jade East, British Sterling, High Karate, ha, that came with, with an instructional thing on there to how to defend yourself from all the women who are going to be chasing you if you use High Karate. I don't know how many different ones that, that there were. You know, of course, there was always the old standbys of men in skin bracer. That's what men use, and old spice, and things like that. And the thing is, is that you like something that, that 
smells a little bit good. You just don't want to knock the top off of everybody's head. My wife, she likes certain things, certain kinds of cologne. And one time, my, <laughs> our daughter bought her a big bottle of some kind of expensive cologne, except that she bought it at Canton Trade Days, and it was really cheap. And we found out why it was really cheap. I'm not going to tell you what it smelled like, but it was awful. The thing is, is that good things that are fragrant are something that appeal to us. We like that. We enjoy that. And this is what it is with God. The gifts that we give sincerely, the gifts that are honest gifts that we give simply because we love Him, are things that are very pleasing to God. They smell good to Him, if you want to put it that way. I think it's the best way to put it. And another thing is this, is our gifts are fundamentally sacrifices, meaning acts of worship to God. The, the first church where I served, there was a little old lady, and bless her sweetheart, she's a little Polish woman, she just lived about, I don't know, 200 yards away from the church, in a, in a single wall house that was always as neat as a pen. She was one of those ladies that would pluck up every sprig of grass or weed in her yard, and she would sweep the dirt. And it was just always so lovely and so neat. And she would come over to the house every now and then, and I guess it was after she'd get her social security check or something, and she would have this little offering envelope, and she said, I need to pay my dues. I always wanted to say, these aren't your dues, you know. You're not going to get your name off parole if you don't bring that by every month. But that was how she thought of it, and a lot of it had to do with her religious background, I'm sure, growing up. But when we give an offering... It's not something we can, that we do just in order to remain a member of this church. We do this because it is an act of worship. And it's an act of worship that God is pleased with whenever we do it with the right heart. You know, it's just like, I know right now, when, you know, one of these days our churches will completely recover from this coronavirus stuff. And there's a lot of things that I miss about the way we used to do things all the time. I, 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 I don't like to put my offering in a little box outside. I like to put it in an offering plate. I really do. And because for me, that, that was just kind of like an act of worship. The plate came by. We put that in there. We were giving something to God's work and to God's use and to God's glory. As a matter of fact, there's some churches that I have gone to where it was done in a different way from that. When it came time for the offering, people got up row by row and come up here to come to the front, and they would put their money down there on the Lord's Supper table. In one church where they did that, a deacon would count the money as soon as everybody came up there, and he would announce how much was taken up. And if it wasn't enough, they would take up the offering again. <laughs> but... The point behind all of that was by coming up, it was like you were making an offering. You were, this was an act of worship for you. And it was something that may have just been symbolic in the way that we did it, but we were worshiping God. Understand this about giving. Ultimately, our giving, whenever it comes from a, a sincere heart, is a time in which we are worshiping the God who made us, created us, and sustained us. And whatever we have left over after we give, we trust that He is going to take us and sustain us uh, with what we have. So that's one of the things. Think about this the next time you give, even if you put your money in a little box outside. Another thing is this, is that sincere giving is not going to deplete the supply that God gives for our needs. 
Notice how he ends this up here in verse 19. He says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He said, You people at Philippi, you've been generous, but I know something about my God. My God is generous. My God is going to take care of all the needs that you have according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Think about this and what he's saying. When he says, My God, he's telling them that God is personal. In other words, God is not just some huge, nameless, faceless force that it just kind of keeps everything going. When you say, my God, that means he's your personal God. He is the personal God of everyone who puts their trust in him. And when we put it that way, we can say this, my God will supply all of my needs because my God knows what I need. He knows the needs of each and every individual of us. Another thing is this, is that God meets our needs for the sake of His name. Uh, that's not exactly brought out in here, but that's, that's an idea that we can find in other parts of the Scripture. One of my favorite passages, and I think this was what we read two weeks ago for the, our Scripture reading at the beginning, comes out of Psalm 37, where uh, David says, I have been young and now I am old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed go begging for bread. Meaning this is that when God is, go, is not going to, to let go of his people. He is going to bless us, not just so that we can be happy and fat and sassy and all of that, but he blesses us to bring glory to his name to show that he is going to take care of his own. And we can always trust him on that. Another thing that we see is that he supplies our needs richly is that it says he will provide, supply all your needs, how? According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What that means is this, is that God is never chintzy with the way that he gives and the care that he gives to his people. Now I realize sometimes that may vary from place to place that you would go to. But whenever we see people, and we've, I've known some people that didn't have two nickels to rub together, but God took care of their needs and they were happy with it. And they felt like they had all that they needed. You may not become as rich as Warren Buffett, but you're going to have all that you need. Remember, he supplies all of our needs, not necessarily all of our greed. Another thing we see in here is this, is that he meets our needs in Christ Jesus. That little phrase right there where it says, in Christ Jesus, really goes with supplying. <laughs> okay? In other words, he supplies in Christ Jesus. Meaning, the first thing that we need to do in order to, to, to enjoy what God has to give is that we have to be in Christ Jesus. We have to make Him our Savior. We have to walk with Him. We have to love Him. We have to trust Him. Because, and that is where the channel of blessing begins. It begins with our faith in Jesus Christ. And if you want to be blessed by God, the only way you're going to have God's great blessings is to get them by knowing and following Jesus Christ taking up your cross daily and following Him. Trusting Him is the one who died to pay the just penalty for your sins. Trusting Him to be the one who rose from the dead to break the power of death. Trusting Him to be the one who is going to come back for us someday. That is where, that is where God's blessings begin. They always begin with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Now, our Father, we thank You for Your mercy to us. We thank you, Lord, that you do supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We're thankful for that. 
Lord, we're thankful for the times that you've taken care of us. We're thankful for, for the times that you've shown us that, that you do not leave, let the righteous go forsaken or their seed begging for bread. We're thankful for all of that. Lord, you're a lot better to us and a lot nicer to us than what we deserve. And we praise you for that. Now, Lord, we pray your blessings upon all of those of us that are here. Lord, we pray for those that, if there's anyone here who's never opened their heart to you, if they've never put their trust in you, Lord, we pray that you would open their hearts and their minds to the truth of the gospel, that they would reach out and embrace Christ as their Savior and their Master. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.